You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Tonight we're going to be planning and getting ready for the Yom Tov, which is going to be taking place in a week from now, Chag HaShavuos. In addition, as you know, tonight, tomorrow is Yom Yerushalayim. And um, I think there's an obvious connection between Yom Yerushalayim and, uh, and the holiday, the Yom Tov of Shavuos. The Gemara tells us about Yerushalayim, that that while the different Shvatim received different portions in Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim was not meant to be split to any one particular Shevet, that Yerushalayim was a, 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 an open uh, national city for, for everyone to be able to come and enjoy. And we all had a certain level of bilus with regards to Yerushalayim. And similarly, when it comes to learning Torah, the Torah is not given to any one particular Shevet, not given to any one particular person. As the Gemara says, the Torah is in a Zavis, the Torah is in the Munachas Bekeren Zavis, it's in the corner, and it's our job to go and take it and to learn as, uh, as much as we can. So the one who decides to spend his life learning and trying to gain knowledge in Torah and grow in Torah, that's the person who's going to be Kona Torah. So tonight we'll talk a little bit about the Memches Dvarim Shah Torah Nikneis But Before we do that, let's, uh, let's just think about the following, the following Mishnah. The Mishnah says, as we're learning about Moshe Rabbeinu receiving the Torah and our Sinai from the Rabbana Shalom and giving it to us. So we look to the first Mishnah in Perkei Avos. The first Mishnah says, Moshe Kibbo Torah Misinai. You have it in front of you. Musar Ali Yeshua, Yeshua the Zekeinim. The Zekeinim, the Nevi'im, Nevi'im, Asruel, Yanshe, Knesset, HaGadol. So Moshe received the Torah, right? Misinai. That in itself is a very funny language. We've talked about that before. It's not Moshe Kibbo Torah Misinai. It's Moshe Kibbo Torah Bisinai. So the term Misina is already funny, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. That's for a different time. But what we want to talk about tonight is the fact that the Mishnah, right in the beginning of Avos, transitions from the term Kibel, Moshe Kibel Torah Misina, and then it moves to a language of Misara, of Misora, or Misira. Moshe Kibel Torah Misina, or Misara the Yoshua. Now, if we wanted to be exact in our language, so we would have... Well, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi would have written that Mishnah as follows. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. V'yoshua Kibel Mimoshe. And Zakenim Mikabel from Yoshua, etc., etc. Why do we move from the language of Moshe Kibel Misinai and uh, Misorah Yoshua? And then we move from, from Kibel to the Lashon of Misorah, of Misira. That's already an interesting question, but it gets even more interesting because if you move to the second, or actually the third Mishnah Novos, so the Mishnahis are continuing to tell us about the Mesorah, and it tells us Antigonus Ish-Socho was Mechabel, the Torah from Shimon Atzadik, he was one of the Bali Mesorah, but here the Mishnah moves back to the Lashon of Kibel. So we say Moshe Kibel Misinai, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai, Moshe received the Torah at Harsinai, somehow from Harsinai. He gives it Misora. We move to the language of Misora, Misira. He gives it over to Yoshua. And then Yoshua gives it over, and they give it over, and they give it over. But then when we get to Antigonus Ish-Socho, he's back to being Mikabel the Torah from Mishemunat Sadik. It doesn't say Shemunat Sadik Misora, the Antigonus Ish-Socho. It says Antigonus Ish-Socho, Kibel Mishemunat Sadik. So the question we want to start with tonight 
is how can we move from the language of Kibel, then we move to Mesira, and then we go to back to Kibel. What's the what's the depth of the Lashon of the mission of the mission of the beginning of Pirkei Avos? There is a Gemara in Zvachim Daf Kuf Aleph Amid Beis. Moving up to Daf Kuf Beis Amid Aleph, the Gemara says as follows: We know that at the end of Parshas Baaloscha, so there is a incident of uh, Lashon Hora that is said against Moshe Rabbeinu. And the one who starts this Lashon is, as you know, Miriam, Moshe Rabbeinu's sister. So Moshe Rabbeinu's sister says Lashon Miriam says Lashon against Moshe Rabbeinu. Whatever the Lashon was, we're Nevi'im, he's Nevi'im. Why does he separate from his wife? So we know that the Gemara says that Miriam became a Mitzoras. She was a Mitzoras Kesholei. And the whole Klal Yisrael had to wait seven days for Miriam to get over and to heal from the Tzaras. So the Gemara wants to know, you know, the Gemara says, based on the Psukim in Sazriya Mitzorah, that the only one who can declare someone who has Mitzorah to actually be a halachic Mitzorah is a Kohen. Now, there weren't that many Kohanim around at that time. There very few Kohanim. So the Gemara says, Miriam Mimas Gira, Miris Gira. We want to know about Miriam, who actually was the one who put Miriam into quarantine. Halacha Miriam, I'm not doing this Gemara just because we're all in quarantine. It just happens to be that way. In Yana the Yama. Miriam, Himihizgira, who put Miriam in quarantine? It has to be a Kohen. Gemara says it can't be Moshe Rabbeinu because Moshe Rabbeinu was not a Kohen. He was a Zar. And a Zar cannot be Roah, cannot pask in Hilchus Tzaras. You need a Kohen to be able to say Tameh or Tar. So in Tamar, Moshe is Gira in the third and the second Maramakam. If you tell me that Moshe was the one who put her in quarantine, Moshe Zaru means Zaru It can't be Moshe because Moshe is a Zaru, he's a non Kohen, and a Kohen cannot pass in Saras. And if you'll tell me it was Aaron, and Aaron was a Kohen, so the Gemara says Aaron Karavu, but Aaron was a relative of Miriam. And we know that a relative cannot paskin on the Goyim either. Ain't car of Roas on the Goyim. So the Gemara concludes that it wasn't Aaron, it wasn't Moshe, it was Moshe, it was HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. HaKadosh Baruch Hu steps out of his uh, Dalaramas, so to say. And he was the one who paskins on Miriam, puts Miriam in quarantine. Chala covered the Miriam that moment. Moshe Rabbeinu was the co. I'm sorry, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was the Kohen to paskin on Miriam. But there is a question that is asked by the Rebbe from Kotsk. And the question is as follows. Now they say over this Torah from the Kotsk, they also say over the Torah from Rechil, from, from Rechil Meir Mi'ozhtrov, the Ozhtrov Rebbe. So the same Torah, the same idea is said over in the name of great uh, Admorim. And first let's ask the obvious question, the question that the Mepharshim asked again, the Kotsk, and the, the, <clears throat> the Ozhtrov, sir. Writes as follows: Why does the Gemara say that when it comes to Moshe, that the reason why he couldn't paskin on Miriam because he was a czar? And why does it say with regards to Aaron, the reason why she couldn't he couldn't paskin on Miriam is because he was a karov? Now, as far as we're concerned, Aaron, Moshe, and Miriam were all krovim. They were two brothers and a sister. So if Aaron can't paskin on Miriam, because he's a karov, because he's a relative. So then Moshe also can't pass him for the same reason. Why does the Gemara give a different reason for Moshe? Why does the Gemara say Moshe Zaru? It should have said 
It can't be Moshe and Aaron, because Moshe and Aaron are both Krovim. They're both brothers. It ain't Krovim, Romans, and Agoyim. Why does it say one reason for Moshe and another reason for Aaron? So that what we would say is the Balabatusha answer, and don't take this personally, if you happen to be a Balabas, but the Balabat, the simple answer is that really we're talking about two reasons. Aaron had one problem. He was a Karov. And Moshe, in addition to being a Karov, had an additional problem. He was also a Tsar. But the truth is, we can say actually something much stronger and much deeper. The Gemara is actually being very, very exact. Moshe was a czar and Aaron was a Karov. Aaron was not a czar, and therefore the Gemara doesn't say Aaron was a czar. Aaron was a going. And Moshe was not a Karov. Moshe was a czar. How can I possibly say that Moshe was not a relative of Miriam? That doesn't make any sense. We know that Moshe was Miriam's brother. So the Kotzka, the Ashtrafzer, a number of the Admorim say the following. There is a Maharal Miprag that says that a ger that converts, we know, has the status of a newborn child. The language of the Chazal is a ger shenizgayer is kikotan shanol adami. A ger that's nizgayer is a kotan shanol, like a newborn child, which by the way means, which by the way means, as amazing as this sounds, that if a mother that's not Jewish and a son, mother and a son, both not Jewish, would convert to Yahadus, would become Yidin, would become Jews, post the Geras, they'd be able to marry each other. Because the Kirvas, the rel- their familiar halachic <clears throat> relationship is severed as a result of the Geras. Now, the Gemara says this is not a good idea. They made a Takana de Rabbanon not to allow this, because we'll be the talk of the town. The guy are going to say, look at this, look at this. When they're not Jewish, there's an Isra Arayus for a non-Jewish woman to marry her son. And then they convert, they convert to Yiddish guy. Go, look at this, the mother's marrying the kid. This religion's a joke. Kedei Shalom Yomru, so people shouldn't say, Banu mi Kedusha Chamrula, Kedusha Kala. You're going from, when, you, when, when they were non-Jewish, the the halachas were more severe than when they're Jewish. This is a joke. So Chazal said, you can't marry your relatives even after you convert. A mother can't marry a son. A brother can't marry a sister even after you convert. But the truth is, halachically, me'ikur hadin is actually not a problem at all. The reason why it's not a problem at all is because gershen is gayer kekotin shenol The Maharal Prague says as follows. The halacha of Gershon is Geir Kekonshanol, that a person should be halachically like a newborn child, that only applies when someone converts willfully. If someone comes to this on their own and they want to convert, and on their own they decide to come to the Bezin, they learn about Yiddishkeit, they want, so when they convert, when that person converts Beratzom, right? So that person has a status of Gershon is Geir Kekonshanol Adami. However, the Maharal explains, and with this, he answers different questions, which I don't want to discuss tonight, but you can take a look. Maharal explains in different places that a Gershon is God, would not apply when the Gerus is done, the Chviya, when the Gerus, when the conversion takes place against someone's will, then the Halacha would be that you would not be Kikonshanoladam. The status of becoming a newborn child and all previous relationships are severed only applies when the gerus is willful. When we force someone to become a ger, 
you force someone to convert, then there's no halach of kakanshin al And then in that case, the relationships that existed previously before the conversion would remain in place even after the conversion. Now, I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, what in the world am I talking about? How can we have a gerus that's forced? There's no such thing as a gerus that's forced. If you force someone to become a ger, that's not a gerus. That's not a conversion. Conversion has to happen because a person wants the conversion to happen. Just by the way, this is very, very halachalamaisa. Because it happens every once in a while where a non-Jew will convert, but they'll slip past, somehow they'll trick the rabbonim, they'll trick the bezdin, and they really have no interest in converting. They have no interest. They just, I don't know, whatever reason, they want to see if they can pull it off. They're not really that serious. So they come to the beds and they tell them they're very serious and they're very serious and they learn and they go through the motions. But really in the lave, in the heart, it's not a serious conversion. And it turns out it has happened where someone would walk out of the beds and go straight to a McDonald's. And it wasn't because of a lack of knowledge. It's because the whole thing was a joke to begin with. They just pulled the wool over the rabbi's eyes. So this question was asked from Yitzhak Shmelkis, one of the postkin in the last generation, in the Sefer base Yitzchak, he's asked this question. Someone walks out of the Bezdin, and the next Shabbos, he's Mechal Shabbos, he's eating trefos. But he went through the conversion. They converted him. He went to the Mikvah, they gave him a Brasmila. He said he was Mechabal, the Mitzvah. So some wanted to say, even though it's obvious now that the whole conversion was not real, the whole thing was a flaw, it was a fake, maybe the halacha is that he's still a convert. He's a full Jew, and he's a Jew that's sinning but the gerus remains in place. Why would I say that? Because there's a halacha that dvarim shebelev, enum dvarim. We usually assume that if a person says something and acts in a certain way, but his mind is thinking something else, so we don't care about what your mind says. We don't care about what you're thinking. We care about your actions. And if your action said that you wanted to convert, then you went to Brismila, you went to the mikvah, so you're converted, you're a Jew. You're, you're a Jew. Ah, you're Michal Shabbos. So there's a lot of Jews who are Mechal Shabbos. So Rabbi Tzach Shmelk has said, that's not the way it works by Geirus. By Geirus, the Iker is the lave. The Iker is the desire to become Jewish. Rachmana liba boy, HaKadosh Baruch wants the lave. You can't tell me that Dvarim Shebelev, Einam Dvarim. You only say that when the Iker is not the Dvarim Shebelev. If the whole point of the Geirus is to want to become Jewish and to desire it inside, so then of course, whatever you have in mind, if you are just fooling the Bezdin and the whole thing was a farce, then it's not a Geiris at all. Then it's not a Geiris at all. Dvarm Shabalev and Dvarm does not apply here. <clears throat> so if you force someone to convert, so then it's, it's not a conversion. So what does the Maharal mean? If you force someone to convert, we don't say Gershin is Geir. Of course you don't say. So the Maharal says, well, there was one time when the conversion actually worked and it was a little bit by force. Anybody know where that conversion was? We know where that conversion was. It was on Harsinai. We were forced. There was a certain level of coercion at Harsinai. Kafa, Alehem, Harkegigis. We were forced. Whatever that means, Kafa, Alehem, Harkegigis. We were forced on some level. It means that it was so obvious and so true. And there was no Yetzirah at that moment. There was no other side. So we convert. It was by force. We were held. The mountain was being held over our heads. 
So the Rabbanim, the Admarim, the great Admarim, Rebichil Meir, and the Kotzker, they say as follows. Every other Jew was forced at Harsinai to accept the Torah. And still, that was a good conversion. That was the only time when a forced conversion is a good conversion. So, but because they were forced, the relationships that they had before Matan Torah stayed in effect even after Matan Torah, because Gershon is Geir, doesn't affect, doesn't go into effect when the Geris is by force. So, therefore, after Matan Torah, Aaron and Miriam were still brother and sister. And therefore, Aaron could not be declared, cannot paskin on Miriam's saras because they were relatives. And a relative cannot paskin on the Goyim. But the Ostrovsa says, the Rebbe explains, but Moshe Rabbeinu was the only exception. Why was Moshe Rabbeinu the exception? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was not under the mountain. He was on top of the mountain. He was the only one who was not forced because he wasn't kafa alehem archegigas. Everyone else had the mountain on top of them. So everyone else's gerus happened by force. So the relationships stayed in place. So Aaron and Miriam were still brother and sister, halachically. But Moshe, whose conversion was biratzon because he was on top of the mountain. So Moshe Rabbeinu, he was no longer a relative of Miriam. Halachically, the relationship between Moshe and Miriam had been severed as a result of the Geras, because his Geras was Baratza, and therefore he was no longer a Karov. So that's why the Gemara never says the reason, that the reason why Moshe can't paskin on Miriam's Tzaras, because Moshe is a relative. Moshe was not a relative. Aaron was a relative. Moshe was not a relative. So the Gemara says by Moshe, he also can't baskin because he's a czar. So the Gemara, Gemara is very menduyak, ex- very exact. Moshe can't baskin on Miriam because he's a czar. And ain't czar roas on a goyim. The Mepharshim asks, just say he's a karov. He wasn't a karov. Gershon is gar, he can't His geras wasn't by force. His, he was on top of the mountain. He wasn't under the mountain. How about Aaron? Aaron, Aaron was, Aaron was, he was a relative. What do you mean he was a relative? How come Moshe is not a relative? Because by Moshe's conversion, which was willful, was Berutzom, he's no longer a Karov. So you have to say that he was a Zor. That's why he can't Paskin. But Aaron, he's a Kohen. He should Paskin. But Aaron was a Karov. Why was Aaron a Karov? Because Aaron and Miriam, they both went through the conversion with the Kafal and Markegigis. So their conversion was by force. Since their conversion was on some level by force, that's why, the reason why he can't paskin is because he's a karov. That's how he explains the Gemara in Zvachim Davkov Beis. If that's not exciting, till then I was already very excited, very excited. This mom is incredible to see such an idea. But now this week, or maybe end of last week, I saw something else that took it to the next level. I never noticed, I noticed it, but you know, sometimes you have a question on a Mishnah I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, you wonder if there's really an answer. And then when you see the answer, you, 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 you kick yourself for doubting the possibility that maybe there was no answer. How come it says Moshe Kibel Torah Misenai and then it moves to Misar Yoshua? 
So there's a sefer called the Or Avram. The Or Avram is a sefer on many mesechters and shasr of Avram Gorowitz's Rosh Hashiva Neretz Yisrael. A great gaon, a great gaon. I've used this svarim so many, so many times. He also has a svarim on Chumash. And just this week, last week, I saw in Parshish Mitzorah, he explains this Mishnah. You see, Moshe Kibel, Kibel is a Loshin Ratzon. It's a, Kibel means you're active in accepting the Torah. So Moshe accepted the Torah, but Ratzon. So by Moshe, it uses the Loshin Kibel. But the moment that Moshe is giving it over, giving it over, giving it over, the Gemara says, from Matan Torah all the way until Purim, the accepting of the Torah was a little bit bekfiyah. It was a little bit forced. We didn't fully accept the Torah Baratzo. So that's why from Moshe onward, it used the Loshon Misara, because Misara implies it's imposed upon you. Misara the Yoshua. Yoshua the Zakanim. Zakanim. There's a little bit of imposition, a little bit of force. Mikan, Modor, Rabbah, Lorais, the Gemara and Shabbos, Daf Peiches says that the Torah, till Purim, was a little bit forced. We had a little bit of an excuse out. We could say, you know, listen, it's not really my fault. We're not keeping the Torah 100%. You had this mountain on top. Moshe accepted it, but by him, it could say Kibel. By everyone else, that was a little bit forced. It says the Loshim Besara. Until around Purim time. Because Purim time, we know that the Jews once again accepted the Torah, but Who lives Purim time around that time? The building of the second base Amigdash. Antigonus ish socho kibel mishimonat sadik. That's why, but Antigonus ish socho, we can go back to the lotion of kibel, because that's the moment when the Jews once again accept the Torah Baratzon, like Moshe and Harsinai. So when we're back to accepting the Torah, not being imposed upon us, but we're accepting it because we want the Torah, we want to learn, we're excited to learn, we want to take part of it. So there it says, Antigonus Yishsocho, ah, Antigonus Yishsocho, Shimon HaTzadik, Purim, we accept Kimu Kiblu. we accept what was once accepted by Moshe Rabbeinu Baratzon, we're accepting again Baratzon. There was a few, maybe a thousand years of, of a little bit of a force, of a kfiyah, of an imposition, but now we accept the Torah Baratzon. As we come to Shavuos, this is the first thought I wanted to share. The idea of accepting the Torah, being metkabal, the Torah Baratzon, to accept it with great joy. This is a joyful yomtiv. As a matter of fact, the Gemara says that every other yomtiv, every other yomtiv, if you are so inclined, if you would like to, you can even fast on yomtiv. Now, we don't hold like that, even by every other yomtiv. That's the position of Rabbi Eliezer. The Gemara Beitz, says, all of the yomtiv, if a person wants it, he wants to just daven and learn and daven and learn, and that, if you want, you don't even have to, you can fast, you don't even have to eat. You don't even have to eat. But everybody agrees that when it comes to atzeres, when it comes to shluiz, you have to eat. I would think the opposite. Matan Torah, Kabbalah Torah, that's exactly the time. If you want, you can stay up all night and not have any cheesecake. Everybody else is eating cheesecake. I'm going to be from, I'm not going to have any cheese. I'm not going to have any food. I'm going to just learn, learn, learn. The Mar says, no, on shluiz, bedafka, it's for you. We shouldn't think that the learning and the davening is for Hashem. We do things but it's for us. It's for our enjoyment. It's for us to enjoy, to accept mamish baratzim with great joy. With great joy. So if we want to be makabal the Torah, if we want to be koina the Torah, so the Mishnah Novos tells us memches dvarim shah Torah nicknames them. There are 48 ways 
48 different midos, 48 different hanhagos that we should take up, we should read that Mishnah and take upon ourselves a shtickle, a little bit of how we can, how we can try to come closer to the Torah. Now, by the way, that whole word from the Or Avram, if you want to take a look later, it's in the third Maramokam. I put down a snippet for you. It's all there in the third Maramokam. Now, in the fourth Maramokam, the last Maramokam that we have down on the, on the Makoro sheet, I have our Torah nicknames, Torah's nicknames with 48 different Hanhogas, 48 different things, 48 different things. So it might be worth maybe one mid a year, <clears throat> one mid a year. Take upon ourselves, every year we'll take upon ourselves to focus on one mid. And then build on that the next year. Listen, at that rate, Baruch Hashem, I'm 50 years old. I shall live till 120, but that gives me at least till 98. And then the Gemara says 48 ways, there's 49 days sphere up. On the 99th year, then Yechazer, all of them. So 99, that's, you know, listen, I should live till 120. We should all live till 120. 48, that's 40. It can be kind of 48 years right here. And by the way, if you do one midah every two years, then we're really talking. Then we're really talking. At least. So the first one, person wants to be kinder, to become closer to Torah, the first hanhaga, the first midah that a person has to have. Let's read it together. Our Torah nicknames be our boy, the Talmud. What does it mean, Talmud? Talmud means in order to become closer to Torah, you have to learn Torah. You have to learn a little bit. You have to learn. You have to open up a safer. I always like telling over the Misa of my cousin Avi that the, 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 the previous Baba of a rabbit was in Queens at a parlor meeting and uh, Rav Shloimala and uh, I think it was by the, by, by the Schaffron residence. If you know Bernie Schaffron, he was in, that, in his home. He was having a parlor meeting in Queens and uh, my uncle Bernie and my Cousin Avi went to see the Rebbe. So they came into the room, Rebbe and, and my, my uncle and my, and my cousin. And they, I don't know exactly what they were talking about the whole time. And then my cousin asked the Rebbe, can I have a bracha? So the Rebbe said, of course, what, what can I give you a bracha for? We were chavrusas at the time in Rav Rosenzweigshir. So my cousin said, he said, can you give me a bracha? I should become a Talmud Chacham. So the Rebbe said, you know, there's a great segula. <clears throat> It's an old school that if you learn a lot of Torah, you become a Talmud Chacham. The first step in becoming a Talmud Chacham in becoming close to Torah is to learn Torah. You have to go to Shir, you have to open up a Sefer. Okay, that one's easy. I mean, it's not so easy, but that's easy at least to understand. The amazing thing is that in addition to learning Torah, there are actually 47 other Hanhogas and Midas that if one focuses on, he'll actually become greater in Torah, make a Stronger Kenyan in Torah. I wanted to discuss two of them tonight. Two of them tonight. One is, I think it's the 36th. You see, there's a lot of dots there. I don't have all, the, all 48 down. I only put a few down. The 36th Mida, the 36th Dover, that a person has to try to incorporate into their lives in order for them to become closer to Torah, for Torah to be nicknamed, 
is misrachek min hakavod. Misrachek min hakavod. What does misrachek min hakavod mean? Misrachek min hakavod means to stay far away from kavod. The Chofetz Chaim, Chofetz Chaim, this is told over by the Chofetz Chaim's son. Chofetz Chaim had a son by the name of Rabbi Arya Leib. His last name, believe it or not, he was known as Rabbi Arya Leib Popko, not Rabbi Arya Leib Kagan. It was always Rabbi Arya Leib Popko. Could be that his, the Chofetz Chaim's first wife's um, maiden name might have been Popko. I'm not sure why, but Rabbi Arya Leib Popko was a son of the Chofetz Chaim. And he writes in Kol Kisve, in the, in the Ksavim, the Kol Kisve, Chofetz Chaim, he writes as follows, that towards the end of the Chofetz Chaim's life, he gathered together the family. And he told the family, he said, my whole life, I let other people go first. He said, it's good to let others go first. Misrachek menakavit. To let someone else go first. The Tells of Yeshiva, the Tells of Yeshiva was started by three great Rabbonim. One of the Rabbonim who started the Yeshiva, his name was Rav Meir Atlas. Rav Meir Atlas. There was also Rav Yitzchak Oppenheim, and there was a Rav by the name of Rav Shlomo Zaman, Rav Shneir Zaman Abel. Those are the three Rabbonim who started the Tells of Yeshiva. The Tells of Yeshiva actually began in Tells, not in Cleveland. It didn't begin, it began in a community called Tells in Europe. So it was a small Yeshiva, not that many Hevra that started, but there were two Shiurim, three Rabbanim, there were two Shiurim that started. There was a higher Shir and a lower Shir. Yaakov Kamenetsky told this Misa over to describe what it means to let others go first. And he said as follows, Rav Mary Atlas is probably the bigger Tamachachim, and he might have been even the main founder of the yeshiva. But when it came time to deciding who should give the higher shear, he told Rav Yitzchak Oppenheim, you should give the upper shear. You can give the higher shear. Now, mind you, giving the higher shear at that time didn't just mean, it didn't just mean that you had a more of a geschmack when you were giving over the shiurim. It meant that when the Rabbanim when the towns were looking for Rabbanim, so they would come to the yeshivas and they would look for the best Rabbanim in the yeshiva and they would hire them as the Rabbanim. And very often the Russian yeshiva would leave their positions as the Rosh yeshiva and they would become Rabbanim in towns because the Rosh yeshivas were getting paid very, very little. And not that the Rabbanim in the towns were making so much, but they were certainly making more than the Russian yeshiva. So it was very often, someone would be a Rosh yeshiva, the town would come, they'd look for the greatest, the Talmud Chacham, and they'd hire the Rosh Hashiva, and then he'd move to the town, and he'd become the Rav in the town. Happened all the time. So when Rav Meir Atlas told Rabbi Oppenheim that he could be the higher Shia, it wasn't just telling him he can give the more Geshmak Shia. He was saying that even when it comes to Parnassah, I'm going to let you go first. Not a simple thing to do. Yaakov Kamenetsky told over that Rav Meir Atlas had two very wonderful, well-known, famous Gedolim as son-in-law, sons-in-law. One was a Balchanan, Vasimin, and one was Reb Chaim Ozegridzinski. They were brothers-in-law. They married sisters. The daughters were of Mayor Atlas. Reb Yaakov Kamenetsky said as follows, how do you think Reb Mary Atlas got these two great Gaonim, these two great leaders of the generation? Do you think he got the leaders 
because of being the best biggest Tamachachem? No. Do you think he got the great sons-in-law because he was the biggest Yari Shemayim? No. He got the sons-in-law because he let others go first. There's a big Indian to be able to let someone else go first. To be Misrachek Min Now, mind you, I'm not at all, as I'm sure you're aware, suggesting that a person should be a shmata and a pushover. Sometimes we have to go first. I'll just give you an example of another Misa. Another very interesting and somewhat similar story. As I mentioned before, very often the towns would come to the yeshivas and they would look for the, the, the greatest rabbonim in the yeshivas and they would hire them as the rav of the town. There were two yeshivas in Kovna at the time. In the late, late 18, the early 1900s, there were two yeshivas. There's one yeshiva that was known as the Knesset Beis Yitzchak and one yeshiva was Knesset Yisrael. The difference between the two yeshivas is that one yeshiva was pro-Musr. It was a Musr yeshiva. And one yeshiva was an anti-Musr yeshiva. Believe it or not, I know it's hard to fathom why or how this could be. But during the time of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, Rabbi Yitzhak Blasher, Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam, the great Bali Musr, there was a big fight among the yeshivas of the time whether we should in, in, institute the learning of Musr in the yeshivas. So in Sof Kosov, the yeshivas were basically split. So in Kovna, there was a, a suburb of Kovna known as Slabotka. So one yeshiva, the author of Slabotka started the yeshiva, the Slabotka yeshiva. That was a pro-Musr yeshiva. Rabbi Aaron Kutt learned there, Rabbi Ruderman learned there, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky learned there. That was one yeshiva. Rabbi Moshe Mordechai Epstein was the Rosh Yeshiva of the author of Slabotka's yeshiva. That was called Knesset Yisrael, named after Rabbi Yisrael Salat, the founder of the Muslim in the same town, there was another yeshiva known as Knesset Yisrael, Knesset Beis Yitzchak, and that was named after an anti-Musr Rav, known as a Yitzchak Elchan Inspector, who's actually is where Reitz, the name Reitz comes from, Rabbeinu Isaac Elchanon Theological Seminary. That's Reitz Elchan Inspector. Our yeshiva at YU is named after the same yeshiva Knesset Beis Yitzchak in Kovna in the early eight in the late eighteen early nineteen hundreds. They were coming, to, the Rosh Hashiva of that yeshiva was, was Reb Baruch Ber Leibowitz. So yeah, Reb Baruch Ber Leibowitz is the head, the Rosh Hashiva of Knesset Yisrael, Knesset Beis Yitzchak, the anti-Muslim yeshiva. And Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein, Levush Mordechai, is the Rosh Hashiva of Knesset Yisrael. In Kovna, they were looking for a new Rav. So they wanted to hire Reb Baruch Ber. It was the obvious choice. He was the great Talmud Chacham, the Talmud Reb Chaim Brisker. Rav Baruch Be'er was such a big tzaddik, he went to the people of the town. When they offered him the position, he said, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. But I think that a better candidate would be Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein. He was a greater Talmud Chacham than I am. Give him the job. And in fact, they gave him the job and he accepted it and he became the Rav of Kovna, letting others go first. Incredible. Years later, Rav Baruch Be'er was suffering because he was having a very difficult time with Parnassah. It's a very strong story. He went to Reb Chaim to discuss it with Reb Chaim. And Reb Chaim said to him, I'm not sure why you gave the job to Reb Moshe Mordechai Epstein. It was offered to you. Sometimes we're supposed to let others go first. And sometimes we're not supposed to let others go first. Sometimes we have to be able to take something for ourselves if it's given to us. And I think the line, the balance is as follows. There are certain things that if we let someone else go first, we're going to resent and we're going to regret 
and we're going to feel bad, and we're going to say, I should have taken it for myself. I need the parnasa, I need the job, I need this covered. Okay, so then you really should go first. But there are so many things that make no difference whatsoever at all. At least in those areas, we should let others go first, like the Chavetz Chaim said. Does it really matter who's online if the person got the parking spot? Is that something to get upset about? The Aliyah, we're going to get upset. I didn't get Cohen. I didn't get Shlishi. I didn't get Shishi. That's what we're going to get upset. Certain times, certain times you have to go first. It doesn't mean every single thing. We should let others go first. That's probably not for most of us, maybe not for any of us. But there are certain times, maybe most of the times, where misrachik men are covered. There's no reason. You don't have to get so mishuga and so crazy. Let others go first. Very often, that's a way of being koina, of having kinyin ha-Torah. Having kinyin ha-Torah. Now, while we're on the historical uh, parentheses, it just is interesting to know that Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein was a brother-in-law of a great uh, Talmud Chacham. He was the father-in-law of Rabbi Aaron Kata. His name was Rabbi Issa Salman Meltzer. They were brothers-in-law. Rabbi Issa Salman Meltzer, Rosh Mordechai Epstein. How did they become brothers-in-law? Let me tell you how. There's a big schmooze now. Everybody's talking now in the entire Jewish world. I don't know if our community is talking about it so much, but if you read any of the, looking at any of the, um, any of the websites, of the yeshivish websites, or the Hasidish websites, or any of the Torahs, and even in our community, people are starting to talk about the spending of money that we do at the weddings and at the bar mitzvahs and the Pesach programs, all these different things. It's a big schmooze now. I'm not going to show, it's not for me to schmooze about, but I'm sure you've heard people talking about, you know, how necessary it really is to be spending money in these types of ways. Okay, it's for a different discussion. But I do want to share with you how one Jew spent his money in Slabotka a hundred years ago. There was a famous Jew, he was a very wealthy person, he was a fur merchant. And he was known, his name was Rav Shraga Feivel Frank, young man. He already became very wealthy in his 30s. And he was sick. He was a sickly man. He had four daughters, four young daughters. And uh, he knew he was dying. He told his wife, we have all this money. After I, if I pass away, after I pass away, spend the money making sure that we marry our daughters into special families. They should marry great Tamidich HaChomim, Yirish Shemayim, leaders of the generation. And in the end, they, the wife, Mrs. <clears throat> Frank, married off the daughters to Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein. He married off the daughters to Rav Mrs. Alman Meltzer. He married off the daughter to Rav Sheftel Kramer, who started, who's the father-in-law of Yaakov Ruderman. Amazing. You should know Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky tells over that uh, he was 10 years older from a Ruderman. He was a second cousin of a Ruderman. He tells over that he said the Shema Yisrael the night before Rabbi Ruderman's bris. He was 10 years old. He said the Shema at the bris by the crib of Rabbi Ruderman. His Rashiva of Ner Yisrael. So Rabbi Ruderman, years later, came to Slabotka to learn. He was 10 years older than him. So he was calling himself Yitzchak Yaakov. Ravurman didn't know his own name. He wasn't sure if it was Yaakov Yitzchak or Yitzchak Yaakov. Because it was a big machlokas in the town because he was named after two different people. And by the Svardim, they give the Chashivas, if you're naming after two people, the one that's more prominent, that's the first name. And by the Ashkenazim, the more prominent name is given to the second name. 
So there was a confusion whether he was Yitzchak Yaakov or Yaakov Yitzchak. He wasn't sure himself. He was traveling around. It wasn't so easy in those days to just call your parents and ask, what's my name? So when he came to the yeshiva, he saw that Rabbi Ruhiman was calling himself Yitzchak Yaakov. Rav Kamenetsky told him, Rabbi Yaakov says, no, 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 you're Yaakov Yitzchak, not Yitzchak Yaakov. And from then on, from then on, he called himself Yaakov Yitzchak. But they say later in life, he used to get confused. Sometimes he'd call himself Yitzchak Yaakov. Sometimes they say Yaakov Yitzchak. It's important to know your name. That's also important. But to let others go first. To let others go first. There's another very important, to let a very important, and this is the last Midah, at least tonight, we're talking about two Midos tonight. Mesrachet min and no seid ba'olim chavero. No seid ba'olim chavero. What does that mean? It means that when a person's going through a difficult time, a person's carrying a heavy burden, you have to help your friend carry the burden. You have to help your friend carry the burden. A person needs an ear, a person needs some advice, a person needs extra money, a person needs... Tfila to daven for someone else, to daven for to daven for your friend, to daven for your neighbor. Not just when someone is very very sick, that's for sure. To daven when you know that some we all know people that need things. To daven strong for other people. To daven strong for other people. No se ba'olim chaveiro. No se ba'olim chaveiro. To feel for others. I remember when I was in yeshiva growing up in elementary school, so there were many, there were poor people, poor kids in my class, there were poor kids in my class, and the parents couldn't afford to buy them suits for Yom Tif. So what they did was, is that someone, I don't know if the yeshiva funded it, they raised money, and they would fund, and before Yom Tov, these boys would be called out of class, and they would go down to the basement, they'd pick out a suit, and that was the suit that they had tailored, and they had that suit for Yom Tov. Now, I never made, you know, I was, a, I was a kid at the time, and I know that these kids were getting suits, maybe four or five kids in my class would walk out to, to go down to get suits. Years later, I was speaking to a friend of mine who was one of these kids, and he was telling me the busha that he felt as a kid when he'd have to walk out of class to go get the suit. Everybody said everybody knew that we were poor, we didn't have money, and I had to go out and get a suit from some from some person who I don't even know, and I was embarrassed. He said it was terrible, terrible, and he said his goal in life was to make sure his kids don't have to go through that embarrassment. That was it's amazing that as a kid, the busha that you feel can be for good or for bad, a guiding, a guiding direction for your whole life. It's to be so careful, especially as a child, to make sure we don't embarrass someone, that we make sure to treat people, especially our children, respectfully. So I recently heard a Misa that they had a similar hanhaga, a similar minhag, in MTJ, in MTJ, Rav Moshe's yeshiva, especially after the Holocaust, there were many kids who came they were going to his yeshiva. They were orphans. They were living in orphanages. They were living as foster and with foster parents. They didn't have families. They didn't have parents. And they came to MTJ and they had the same thing. A few wealthy people gave money for suits. And uh, during the yeshiva, at some point, the boys would go down and they'd pick out the suits. Anyway, they had a dinner. 
and he invited the boys from the class to come to the dinner, probably to fill up the, you know, to fill up the, uh, the seats. They do that sometimes to make the hall seem full. So someone got up to speak and he said as follows, said as follows. I'd like to ask all the boys who are here who are getting suits to please stand up to show special honor to those Balabatim who are here, to those people who are here who are supporting you and giving money towards your suits. That's what this person said. Everyone, please stand. I don't think he did it on purpose to embarrass the kids. He was trying to make an impression on the Gvirim who were giving money to the yeshiva. The moment this person, before he finished his sentence, he liked to ask the boys to please stand up. Rav Moshe Feinstein stands up. Rav Moshe Feinstein stands up. Rav Moshe stands up. The entire place stands up. Everybody stands up. All the, boy, the whole yeshiva stands up. A few hundred people stand up. No one knows who the boys are. Rav Moshe had it programmed. He was programmed in his neshama that if someone's going to be embarrassed, you have to do at all costs. All costs. I actually had a shiloh. I don't know what an answer. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. But I thought that at least there's a shiloh. I remember discussing this with a friend of mine. The Gemara says a person should rather throw himself into a furnace than embarrass someone barabin. It's almost like Bikuach Nefesh. I was wondering, can a person be Machal Shabbos in order to make sure that someone's not embarrassed? It's hard to imagine a situation where that would be warranted. But imagine you know someone's going to be embarrassed in public. You know that someone's going to say something in public and the person's going to be there. The only way that you can make it there is to get into a car and drive. Otherwise, it's going to be a busha. A person's going to be unbelievably embarrassed. Can you get into your car and be mechalo Shabbos to save from the embarrassment? It says a person should be malbin, a person should be rather have himself what is it? I thought at least it's a shayla. I don't know. I haven't asked any big people yet, but I thought at least to be no say ba'olam chavero. No say ba'olam chavero means to remember that we have to care and think about other people's pain, other people's, other people's embarrassment, to carry someone else's burden. Their burden, your burden, our burden, it's all, we're together. No and no In Slabotka, they used to say, letting someone else go first is not a, is not, it's not a nesoyim. To let someone else go first is not a nesoyim. Because it's so posh that when you let other people go first, more comes back to you. It's posh, not a nesoyim. Why would you not? How could you be so silly and not let others go first, especially when it comes to things that really don't matter that much? Okay, Parnosa, Rebaruch Be'er, I don't know, that's, that's way, that's a high level, I'm not sure. But the Stam, silly things, and Aliyah, last piece of Kugel, you know, uh, you know a line, you're on the line, the one more ketchup, a letter, another, you can't have to get don't let Aliyah, that's right, someone else can have the Aliyah. Someone else can have the Aliyah. Our friend of Shlomo Wahlberg, Shlomo, just to give you a sense of, <clears throat> he went to a yeshiva called Emek Halacha. The Rosh Yeshiva was of Tuvia Goldstein, a Talmud of Rav Moshe. Rav Shlomo 
was an oval at the time. And he walks in, I think it was an oval for his, I'm not sure if it was for his father, I think it was for his, it was an oval for one of his parents. Another one of his parents. He walks into the yeshiva. At the time, Rav Tuvia Goldstein, the Rosh Yeshiva, was also an oval. Also an oval. So he tells Shlomo, Shlomo's a kid, he was a teenager. You go, you go first, you daven, daven for the Yom. Okay, daven's Marav, Shachris. You daven. Shlomo says, Rosh Yeshiva, you should no, no, you can daven. You can daven. And he always tells him to daven. He goes, how come the Rosh Yeshiva that? My parents get more honor in COVID when I let someone else daven than when I jump to the Yomud. It's very important to remember Misrachet when the COVID. It doesn't mean we should never take the Yomud. But it means that there's something very special to be said about letting others go first. Chavetz Chaim said, let, someone else, let, others people, let others go first is a very good thing. It's a very good thing. In Slavotka, it wasn't in the Sayon. It came back so easily. No sib olim chara to daven for someone else, to feel someone else's pain, to make sure we're not embarrassing someone else. Even if it's by accident, we have to be extra careful. And these are the, some of the ways that the Torah, Mirz Hashem, should be nicknames in us. Mirz Hashem will have shir as we get ready for Shavuos next. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.